Welcome to Superheroes of Science. I'm Stephen. And I'm Sarah. We co-host Science from the Experts. Our guests are professionals doing cutting-edge science right now. They're experts in their field discussing what they know best. So listen up and learn real science from real people. Subscribe now and stay informed of our latest episodes and show your support. Joining us today on Superheroes of Science, we're excited to welcome Scott Lawrence. Scott is a clinical professor in the Department of Health and Kinesiology here at Purdue University and also the Director of Athletic Training Education. So welcome. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. We appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I'm guessing since you're in charge of athletic, athletic what now? Athletic education? Training? So, yeah. Uh, I'm the director of athletic training education. We have two athletic training programs, one at the professional level, one at the post-professional level. We are the entity that educates those individuals looking to go into that profession. Athletic training is a healthcare profession. We take care of active individuals. And so the easiest way I can explain that is when somebody gets hurt out on the field or out on the court or even just in everyday life and you see someone go out on the field or the court and help take care of them, that's us. That's who we are. And so our program has been around for a number of years. Uh, we've been highly successful in um, educating students, placing them into the workforce, and uh, really excited to be a part of the institution offering those two programs. Oh, awesome. Awesome. And so it's, it, well, I, I know, I know when we contacted, one of the things we talked about is like, hey, a lot of people want to do strength training programs and stuff. And we'd like to, them not to need rehab when they're done <laughs> absolutely that's the goal isn't it yeah and so maybe some tips and stuff about how, how to prevent uh being one of your research people because I, I see you've done several publications on different things as different uh, injuries and rehab and it'd be nice to uh avoid being one of your uh, people you're doing research on that would be great you know nobody wants to be that person right nobody wants to be involved in the study that was how did you get hurt you know we yeah. all want to be involved in other things right and so what, what would some suggestions or tips that you might have to people if because it's it, let's face it it's a lot of us, I mean, summer was busy. We got kind of active. Fall, we started winding down. Winter starts and we just kind of drop it. And uh, so we want to start getting, you know, getting back in shape and all of a sudden and uh, jump right in with both feet. And uh, mm -hmm. what's some tips and suggestions you might have for somebody wanting to do this? Yeah. Uh, well, I think this is a perfect time of year to have this conversation, right? Because there is going to be a lot of us in that same boat who are either taking on new resolutions or trying to make lifestyle changes. And the big piece or the big key is how do you do that safely? And you know, where I always like to start is a conversation of what's an injury versus what's normal soreness that you should expect. Because you should expect some changes. And one of those is going to be normal muscle soreness from any type of change in what you're doing. Let's face it, a lot of us in this last quarter of the year, we have other responsibilities. And it's one of those things where physical fitness a lot of times takes that back seat, as you mentioned. And so as you start something new or you get into something that you haven't done in a while, there are going to be some adaptations that result in soreness. And that's normal you should expect that. That doesn't mean that you're injured. It just means that your body is starting that adaptation process. And that usually lasts between one and two weeks, sometimes a little 
less, sometimes a little bit more, but that's normal. And that's what I want to underscore. That is a normal, typical response. I think the the issue that I've seen is for anyone who's taking on something new, they don't know that, that 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 is normal. And they either need reassured or sometimes they even get scared away from pursuing because they don't want to you know, be hurt. That's one thing. Now, the second piece is if you actually get injured and there's some things or reasons why, and I think that dovetails into some of the uh, guest tips that I would um, suggest. The first one is we often see injury as a result of poor movement and poor movement quality uh, in an individual, meaning you're trying to do something you're just not ready to do or able to do at that moment. For me to go out and try to run a 5K right now, I'm probably not in enough shape to do that. I might want to do that, but I'm not ready to do that. And so I need to be um, smart about my training and be gradual about how I build my intensity and how I build my volume. If I'm in the weight room, maybe I want to do an exercise that I just don't have the range of motion to do. And I put myself in a bad situation. And that bad situation could just cause an overuse injury over time, or it could cause an accident. And certainly accidents happen in the weight room and in the training facility. And that's where you might have a, an injury uh, is with that accident. The other thing that I think happens is you know, over time, you have this lack of training or conditioning base to really move you where you want to go. And it's just being smart about progressions, like I mentioned, and, you know, undertaking a planned uh, progression of activities, whether that's, you know, biting off a little bit more each week, or whether that's, um, you know, working with someone who knows what they're doing and, and can help guide you on that. Um, those are the big reasons that I see people getting hurt. And I think, you know, from that, you can really um, keep yourself uh, out of my office uh, by just being gradual, by being smart, uh, being intentional, I would say, about how you progress, how you load with both intensity and volume. It those are both really hard things to do sometimes. It's, I know myself, I'm both macho and competitive. And uh, so it's, it's, you know, I want to be able to go there and beat my chest and do the same as the people who haven't taken a year break. And uh, <laughs> I guess, I guess I ended up with a slip disc in the back. Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit uh, too big of weights. And then uh, the others, I know I've hurt myself with, I like where you say, you know, starting gradually. I know it's, I tend to be an all-in type of person. And so that's something that's difficult for me to, that I need to work on and myself too, is going gradually and not going all in. And that's where I spent several months limping because I went, decided to go all in. Yeah. And I think it's okay to be all in, but you have to be smart all in, mm -hmm. right? And, it, and you have to have a plan and, and it's easy to get competitive. We all do. And as you get competitive, I think be competitive with yourself. Don't be competitive with other individuals that you might be comparing yourself to because you don't know their training history. You don't know their uh, potential medical issues or lack of medical issues. They may be able to do something that you can't just because of how their body works and how your body works. And uh, if you're competitive with yourself, 
kind of week in and week out, then I think you might be able to temper the hat down just a little bit and help to control that. But be all in, be that person that is out there and, and uh, really gung-ho because that's going to help you stick with that routine. It's going to help you build consistency over time. I like that. You had mentioned the being, um, let's see, poor movement can contribute to injury. And, and then also I had heard you mention overuse and are there resources or, you know, some place we could go to visit to, to find correct movement or, um, or people we could talk to, to, to learn sort of the proper movements and things if we're wanting to begin a new program. Yeah, yeah, certainly there are resources available. And if you do an internet search, you can probably find a, a thousand and one or more articles and opinions on what the best way to do that is. I think, you know, the big thing is you want to consult with someone who has a background and um, you want to have somebody who has a knowledge of movement, what is appropriate and what's not appropriate, because this is something that it's really easy to get a bunch of different opinions on. And so, um, you know, this is not something that you want to trust to your uncle or your aunt who uh, has a casual interest in this. Uh, you want to have someone who is trained, and that would be someone uh, like myself, an athletic trainer, a physical therapist, a personal trainer, someone who has an appropriate fitness background and, and a movement background. And, and I would consider all of those professions to be experts in movement. And so if you go to a local gym, they're going to have someone like that available that you might be able to uh, have help you in an initial session or an initial couple sessions just to help determine what is your movement patterns, uh, what do they look like, uh, where are you in a where are you in good shape and where are you maybe not in quite so good shape? Maybe you have difficulties with some of your squat mechanics and, you know, to put a heavy load on a squat bar just doesn't make sense right now. Maybe we need to alter that and do some different exercises, or maybe you don't have the shoulder mobility that is required to do some of the Olympic weightlifting that is, you know, fairly popular. Those are things that I think if you know that on the front end of your program design, you can really help ward off a lot of injuries that might come on the backside. I think that's a really good point that um, speaking with professionals that can help you with it initially as you develop a plan and, and could just seems like it could really pay off big in terms of, you know, not causing yourself injury and um, preventing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, and I can't stress that enough. I mean, uh, it, it sometimes is, a, a, you're so ready to go and you're ready to get into the gym and and you just want to you want to start right um and maybe this delays that by a day or two or three but i think the time you invest into this will pay dividends uh you know many many times over as you're looking uh progressing through the program long term what are some of the most um, common injuries that that you're seeing so I think one of the things uh, that you typically tend to see is a lot of um, uh, overuse injuries in the muscles. Uh, you see a lot of sore joints. So typical injuries that you might see would be um, uh, 
rotator cuff tendonitis or tendinopathies. Uh, sometimes you'll see biceps tendonitis. Uh, you'll see quadriceps tendonitis or, or tendinopathy. Uh, you'll see a, uh, problems with the Achilles tendon. So the common theme here is you're seeing a lot of muscles that uh, transition forces from big areas into the extremities. So if you're involved with um, weightlifting, for example, you might start to experience shoulder pain, and that could be coming from your rotator cuff or your biceps tendon. If you're doing a lot of squat mechanics or lower extremity work, you might start to develop some of those patella uh, tendon uh, type of conditions or maybe something in your Achilles from, from running and, um, and, and starting some type of a couch to a 5k plan, for example. So uh, those are the most common things that you see. And then of course, accidents happen and you might see, uh, you mentioned a, a disc injury, a low back disc injury earlier, and those happen. Uh, you can see uh, a, a full range of issues, whether it's a, a joint issue or whether it's a cartilage issue, those certainly happen when those, those um, those rare accidents occur in a weight room. So um, how do I know? All right, let's say I, it's, it's, I, I remember bench pressing in high school. I know how to do that. Um, I grab that bar. I do a few rounds. Next day, my shoulder hurts like crazy. How do I know? Is it, am I just sore or am I hurt? Oh, geez. So that's a great question. You're flipping it back around on me. I love it. So I think this is where it's hard to give individual advice in a group setting, right? So I think there are a couple things that you can look for. Number one would be pain that is just really disproportionate and is not improving over time. So your typical soreness is going to start to get better. You know, it's going to be a little bit better 12 hours after you first notice it, uh, it's going to be a little bit better 24 hours later. It's going to be a little bit better uh, 36 hours after the initial onset. So it's progressively getting better. That's different than the pain that is really there and it's unrelenting. So that's one thing I look for. Number two would be any type of noticeable swelling. So if you're getting swelling in an area, that's a sign that there's been damage and that could be in a joint or it could be in uh, soft tissue. So the third thing that would differentiate soreness from an injury is really a loss of range of motion. When I look at somebody and I see that they have a marked decrease in how well they move, maybe they're only able to move half of what they could before, or maybe even close to what they could, but it just really hurts, especially at end range. That's a sign of an injury. And that's something that we really need to make sure is looked at by someone who knows what they're looking for. Oh, well, that helps because I, I mean, yeah, yeah, you're going to have some soreness if you've done things you haven't in a long time, mm -hmm. but uh, then it, it's easy to get scared for a lot of people. It's, it's, they, some people don't live for the pain, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, this is wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. And yeah. so it's nice to know when it really is wrong. Yeah. And like you said, it, it's really easy to get discouraged. And I think that's something that we've all faced at some point you you don't do something for a while you go out and it could be something simple it could just be yard work right mm -hmm. and you the next day your back hurts your leg hurts hurt and the the easy reaction is i'm not going to do that again but you start feeling better that disproportionate pain starts to 
decrease. Uh, any swelling that might have uh, been there goes away. Loss of range of motion comes back. That's just general soreness and you're safe to go back and, and resume activity again. It's when those things persist and last that you should start to worry. Very nice. That's thank now, you for explaining that a little better. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I noticed in you that some of your research interest lies in limb symmetry and using yeah. predictor of you know risk of injury. So what what is limb symmetry and how do I know if if you know is there a way I can check myself for this or yeah, yeah. So uh, limb symmetry is the uh, you're, you're speaking my language now. Um, you know, you know, I, I get I get really fired up about this. So um, when we look at risk of injury, let me start here. Um, this is the number one thing that we can control. The the risk factors for injury. Number one is you have a first injury. So when you have an injury, your risk of subsequent injury starts to go up by many you know many factors one of the things that we can control, because we can't really control if you had a first injury, right? One of the things we can is the degree of difference between the two limbs, and that's what symmetry is. How well does your right and your left look, uh, do they look the same? And so we call um, your lower extremity symmetric if you have very little difference between the two across a whole host of measures. And that's everything from swelling to motion to strength, to balance, to proprioception, um, to a whole lot of different things. If you have large differences, you start to have what we can almost say is just two different legs. And when you have two different legs, you treat them differently. And that means that you're gonna bear the risk of injury in one leg over another because one feels a little bit better. One uh, jumps a little bit easier. You can reach a little further with balance and that limb tends to be at a little bit higher risk. And so um, we, we do see risk of injury start to go up when you have a higher degree of asymmetry or lack of symmetry. And so is that something that someone might want to look out for to start to see if they notice those big differences and and to be training to try to get them a little more because first thing when i when i when i'd read the symmetry i'm like okay are my arms the same length you know and i'm like well, what what is this it's so uh, but it sounds like it's uh that's not quite where you're going with it yeah yeah so so i think first of all normal people have good symmetry. You don't inherently treat one leg different than the other. And so if I were to pull a whole bunch of people off the street and test them, they should test pretty similar side to side. And we see very, very small differences of 5% or less across any measure that we can look at for the most part. There is some variability sometimes in strength. And you may say, I have one leg that feels a little stronger. Yeah. You might actually have that. We see some variations in strength of up to about 20% sometimes in normal people who have never been hurt, who have never had a problem. But outside of that, the differences are very, very small. And you're not even going to perceive those. Now, 
when you go out and you start to train or you start to get involved in sport or activity, it is important, I think, to know what your limb symmetry is. And that's part of what a preseason physical is all about, trying to determine. And we do the same thing for the upper extremity. My focus is on the lower extremity, but we're trying to identify what are those areas where you might be at risk for injury. And so if we're expanding this into a general population, someone who's starting activity for the first time, while I wouldn't expect there to be asymmetries present, I think it is smart to have someone look at that. And that's something that you can do in a lot of ways. There are some really low cost, very easy to do measures that you can look at. Things like single leg squats and how well you can balance while you're standing feet together and feet in line and so on and so forth that you can now look at and see, am I at risk for being injured? Then if there is a difference, you can work to minimize that. And that's where someone like me comes into play. Someone that can really identify the root cause of that difference and give a good guided plan on how you can address that. What are some of the causes that, what are some things that might cause an imbalance? So um, great question, great follow-up there. I think uh, the number one thing is going to be some type of injury or compensation. I'm a cyclist and every so often when I do hill work, my right knee gets sore. Mm -hmm. And when my right knee gets sore, I know it changes the way I walk, the way I go up and down stairs, right? And so that can cause over time a change in my symmetry that may change the way I use that right leg and therefore because I'm not using it I start to lose strength there because I don't trust it I start to lose balance because I am not using it now all of a sudden the left leg starts to become the predominant leg when I do things now I'm aware of that and so I have strategies to mitigate that and that's where an athletic trainer or a physical therapist can really help in terms of you know, knowing what those triggers are and how you can then address those. You don't like take the right pedal off and just pedal to the left one, do you? <laughs> <laughs> now, if I'm doing some power workouts, absolutely. If I'm trying to work on some single leg stuff, yeah, you got me there. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think compensation is probably the big one that I see in terms of those big triggers that would cause an asymmetry. And um, it's those single leg activities. If you're always squatting a certain way, if you're always jumping a certain way, if you, you know, normal people don't do that. Normal people will use the right leg just the same way as they use the left leg for the most part. It's when you start to preferentiate one over another, now you start to do that. And single leg cycling, that would absolutely do that. <laughs> but I've, and I've caught myself doing just what you're saying, where you start to favor one way because you're in a little pain but then once the the i was over the injury the pain was gone it, it became habitual yeah and absolutely. so i had to consciously break myself i'm like this is not i i'm messing up my gait and i i and so i had to consciously force myself to change because i realized i was doing it you know and it's little things as well uh subconscious things think about the way you stand most people are going to stand on one side and then subconsciously they shift over to the other and they just go back and forth side to side. Well, if you have one limb that hurts, if your left leg hurts, you predominantly stand on your right leg. And what that teaches your left leg to do is to not accept load. It 
actually causes a loss of motion at both the ankle and the knee. And now you start to accumulate some of these really small differences that over time can add up. Well, those are, those are good things to look for. It's because I, I could definitely see an imbalance causing other problems. Yeah. And you, you hit it right on the head there. It is an imbalance that leads to problems and eventually potentially injury. Now, one of your research things I, I saw it said something about a, a backpack. Oh boy! Yeah, yeah. I, I know you, you weren't first author on it, but it was mm -hmm. you were listed as an author. Something about yeah. a backpack. Is that a regular backpack or is this something term uh, jargon? Yeah. So um, that was an interesting study, and this was done a few years ago. And what we were looking at is how does an external load change balance? And the application is in the military and in tactical athletes, as we call them. And that's your police, your fire, uh, your first responders. They're heavy, carrying heavy loads. And oftentimes this is in the form of a backpack or some type of a, uh, a bag. And so that's going to change how they move. And that external force maybe causes them to um, not only balance differently, but move differently. And so that study looked at uh, the impact of different weights on an individual balance. So uh, let, let me throw one at you that uh, you might be like, don't go there, man. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try. Okay. Because I, I, I have some friends and I, I, I'm jealous. I want one, but I just, I, I can't give up the money to buy it. But uh, they do the weighted vests mm -hmm. um, for their training. Thing and it's okay. It's I mean it's you you have more weight, so you're mm -hmm. it, good or bad. Uh, not good, but not bad. So it, it I'm going to give you a big old. It depends, and it depends on the person. It depends on the activity. Um, I'm not sure that I would be uh, advocate for high intensity plyometric activities with a weighted vest on, but it can be of substantial value for a lot of activities. Um, I, I use them myself in rehabilitation a lot. So I, I don't think that they're bad, but I think there needs to be context to that question uh, or context to that answer maybe. That was a safe answer. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Throw that one right down the middle, you know, yeah. let it uh, have a little latitude to the left or to the right. Uh, well, I got, this is this is a bit unrelated, but um, it's, it's kind of related in the sense of it deals with some pain and things. So I understand like sometimes soreness can be, you know, that can be part of just getting back into it. And definitely if there's injury, there's, you know, the persistent pain and it doesn't go away and that sort of thing. What about, or maybe I'm just a weird person, I don't know, but occasionally like if I'm running or if I'm doing some kind of workout or something and I'll, I'll get a pain and it's like, weird it's like a phantom pain it's just in like maybe like the top of my foot or in my knee maybe but then like two days later I'm totally there it's gone there's nothing there's no residual pain it's like what on earth is happening why <laughs> yeah I well I wish I could give you a good answer I I, yeah. I don't know that I can okay. um, I, you know because you know it, it we have this this old saying in class, um, and I heard it throughout my, the entirety of my training. And every professor gave me the whole "it depends," okay. and I think that is the most common answer given in any type of rehabilitative setting, right? Because it uh -huh. depends on a whole host of things. Now, um, relative to what you're saying, that 
that is common. A lot of people will say that. Typically, that is something mechanical in, in your body. You're you're getting impingement of tissue or impingement of bone where something is is touching that is not supposed to. For example, this happens to me in my hip. So in my hip, I have if I get into too much hip flexion uh, or too much hip rotation, I'll actually have some bone hip bone, and that is very uncomfortable. And it it's uncomfortable for a short period of time. And once I'm done with the activity, it goes away and then I'm just fine again. And it's very rare. It's very occasional, I guess I should say. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's like you were saying, it's there and it definitely bothers you, changes how you do things. And then it goes away just as quick as it came. All right. Okay. I, I want to throw one at you. Another one. This is fun. Um, <laughs> I don't know for you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is uh, I listen to a couple of different fitness podcasts. Yes, and uh, one of them I was listening to is this was probably a year ago, but it's got me thinking ever since then. It's kind of stuck in my head. It said, uh, uh, "How do I say this without using the cuss words they used?" Um, uh, the rice, the the ice part of that mm-hmm. is is bad. Well, I said that totally professionally. I'm so proud of myself. Um, so the rice part, they said it, it, it's actually counterproductive to um, the healing process where you don't want to put ice on it and delay the blood getting to it. Are, are they right? Yeah. Are they wrong? Where, where, do, we, where do we stand? Yeah. On? yeah. So um, there is, let me start off with, with some of the literature. There are a lot of people questioning the use of ice, and and this has been a standard of the um, athletic training and physical therapy worlds for years, and that comes from a lot of really good sound research. Um, And what they're questioning is the, um, the effect of the cold application on the inflammatory process, because you have to go through an inflammatory process to progress towards healing. Now, I think the, the issue is the all or none, in, in my opinion. So people are saying either yes, you do it or no, you don't. And there are more people now saying no, don't use it. And I think for the individuals in that camp, one of the things that they're overlooking is that first 12 to you know 24 hours where you run the risk of secondary hypoxic injury. And without the application of colder ice in that first 12 to 24 hours, you can actually cause more damage because what happens is you get uh, the the ingress of swelling that starts to um, suffocate the tissues that have been damaged. And now you get the good tissues on the periphery that become a casualty or collateral damage. Ice can control that in the initial stages. Now, once you get through that, should you continue to ice? That's where I think there is some validity to that argument of you shouldn't be using it because if you're continuing to suppress that um, inflammatory response 24, 48, you know, 60, whatever hours later, that can, I think, slow down recovery. And so I, I, I understand where people are coming from with that argument. I don't think rice is dead. Uh, anecdotally, this has worked extremely well for close to a hundred years or more. But I do think there is some strong rationale to say maybe there's a better, smarter way to use this. And once we get through that initial window, there might be other agents that can work better. 
That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes sense when you say it that way. And I, you know, again, that, that I think people get into this all or none mentality. You either use it or you don't use it. Yeah. And I think it's more nuanced than that. You know, nothing in life is that simple, right? So I think, you know, using it in that first 12 hours, maybe even 24 hours, suppress the uh, initial swelling to control for secondary hypoxic injury, get the side benefit of some uh, pain control. And then once you have progressed through that, now you can start to look at other agents, whether that is the use of heat, whether that's the use of compression, whether that's the use of movement, lots of different options there available to you. Well, that makes me feel much better. Okay. Well, I was struggling with it because, yeah, but like you said, it's that a lot of people get stuck on the it's all or nothing. And that's where they were. They're like, oh, you shouldn't do it at all. It's nothing. Yeah. I'm like, oh, well, the arguments they make, that sounds okay. Yeah. Okay. I can see it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's, it's valid criticisms. You know, they, they have some really good uh, data behind those arguments. Uh, but, but I think, you know, the, the problem, just like with a lot of studies is, is sample size and longevity. So small samples over a short period of time often don't yield the same results as big results over long periods of time. And, you know, you get every kind of mixture in between there. And that's where I think the nuance is when you're treating individuals. I saw, uh, did, did, oh, did you have something, Sarah? No. Okay. I, I'm like, oops, I cut you off because I asked the last one. Um, <laughs> I, I want to ask, I want to ask about fad exercises. Okay. There's a lot of them. Yeah, I know. And it, it's, I mean, it's everything from the thigh master to, I don't know what, but uh, <laughs> go back to the old ones there. <laughs> yeah. Should people, um, be concerned and quite leery of, of these, any, anything like this, or is there, it, how should a, a person approach? Cause right now it's, I'm already seeing advertisements in like all oh, my apps and everywhere. Um, I'm seeing these advertisements for all these. And I'm like, well, there's a fat exercise. Yeah. That, that'll be around for a week, but uh, it's, how do you, but the, I mean, it, when I'm sitting there rowing at the co-rack, I'm sitting there rowing on the machine. I see the machine the tv the little flashy box in front of me and they're like I'm like wow that that might really work it's a, <laughs> how do we approach those how do we mentally deal with uh, this bombardment that we're we always get the first of the year yeah I, and uh, we get it every single year right every year it's something new and i think uh i'm at the age now where i'm starting to see everything repackaged so everything from the 80s is coming back now and and people think it's new and it's really not but uh you know the younger generation doesn't know the difference right so you put a, on a nice marketing scheme and you can make a lot of money on some some fat exercises um you know i think for me i'm always wary of the the programs that promise everything. And generally when you have a program that promises everything, they're not able to deliver on anything. And that's a, maybe a little bit of an overstatement on my part, but uh, it holds true in a lot of cases where, you know, we can reshape your body, we can curb your appetite, we can do all of these things with a pill and exercise twice a week. Well, I think the, my bottom line is there are no shortcuts for this. And, um, you know, good physical fitness um, includes multifaceted, multidisciplinary 
effort and it's effort over a long period of time and it's little by little approach and there is no magic pill there is no magic exercise and you know the the pills and the exercises that promise short-term results um, with little effort oftentimes fall into that fad um, you know realm and i think you you just have to be a little cautious of that most of the time these fad exercises are not dangerous per se and so um you know I'll, I'll be honest that's how we advance we have to be able to try new things right um so i'm not i'm not against you know the newest latest greatest exercise and the newest latest greatest idea but i think we just have to have a little bit of skepticism and, and beware of the overpromise. i love that you mentioned there are no shortcuts that it's it's to be in it for the long haul it's it takes time and, and that dedication and over the long term and yeah you can't just take a magic pill <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right you know i I think uh, like a lot of people my age, when I hit uh, that 40 year mark uh, a few years back, it was one of those eye-opening moments and it was a wake up that maybe the lifestyle I was leading wasn't going to be the lifestyle that I wanted, you know, yeah. as I moved into middle age and I had to make some changes and I did. And it took sustained effort over a long period of time. And um, here I am, I've been in the industry for, you know, 25 years at this point and, um, gosh, I should know that this takes a while, but I was so impatient and I was so wanting this to just be a, a one to two week type of thing. And, it, and it, of course it wasn't, it was, you know, a one to two year type of thing. Um, uh, you know, and that's the way that I go about things, but you know, it, it was uh, very much, the journey was very much worth the effort for me. Okay, so you're telling me that there is no magic pill, and I'm gonna probably feel some soreness if I'm doing this right, and I've got to stick with this, and potentially even you know one to two years. Is all of this worth it? <laughs> well, uh, yes, it is worth it. So we know that uh, physical fitness, um, your strength, your cardiovascular function, we can tie so many attributes to longevity to quality of life, that it's no doubt that it, this is absolutely worth the effort, not just to get to your optimal fitness, whatever that may be. For some people, that's going to be much lower than what it is for others. But once you are there, maintaining that level of fitness, absolutely worth the effort. And by the way, to maintain it is always much less effort than to get there. Uh, I think that's something that a lot of people get discouraged because it took so much effort to get to where they're at. But I promise it takes a little bit less to maintain that uh, over time. But those are all tied to longevity, quality of life, being able to do the things that you want to do as we all inevitably get older, uh, whether that is walking on the beach, whether it's going to the theme park, whether it is doing sport and activity, gardening in the yard, whatever the case may be, the more time you invest into physical fitness, the more that will pay dividend down the road. I think that's a big way that we have to look at is, is like you said, it's, you spend a little bit of time now to get a lot more time later. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a pay me now or pay me later, which do you prefer? Mm -hmm. And I'm of the mindset of, you know, I'm ready to put in the effort now because I want to enjoy the later. Yeah. That's, that's definitely where I am too. Well, th this was really good advice and we appreciate your time. Yes.
thank you Absolutely. so much. This is wonderful. Absolutely. Well, always happy to, to talk about uh, these types of things. I think, um, you know, physical fitness, staying uh, healthy, uh, recovering from any type of illness or injury. Those are um, topics that a lot of people worry about, they stress about. And, um, you know, anytime we can provide some answers to folks, always happy to share uh, what we can. Thank you for listening to this episode of Science from the Experts from Purdue University Superheroes of Science. If you like this episode, subscribe, give us a positive view, and share the love. Boiler up! Hammer down! <laughs>